welcome to Beautiful Possibility, the creative process journal of Jillian Jacob Kieser. That's me. I created this for all stuck, hopeful, and aspiring creatives everywhere. You are not alone. The truth is, perfectionism grabbed me sometime in adolescence and halted my creative journey for many years. Today, my desire to create is stronger than my fear. So I created this podcast as my day-to-day account of getting unstuck and into motion. In this audio journal, I'll take you along on my process of unblocking and relearning how to find joy, courage, and fulfillment in creating. I always say the only place to start is exactly where you are. So let's begin. already laughing. I love it. (laughs) I'm so excited for this special guest on the Beautiful Possibility podcast today. I have Kyra Evans, who is, as I just told her, someone I've had a crush on on the internet for a while. She's an amazing writer and thinker, like not just beautiful writer of words, but I've learned so much from following her account over the last few months, and I'm so excited to get to talk to her on this podcast and share this with you. So Kyra Evans is a former finance and tech copywriter turned author, speaker, and certified mindfulness instructor. She's given keynote addresses, led corporate executive retreats, and created wellness curricula for clients ranging from tiny startups to multinational corporations. Her writing has been featured by publications like HuffPost and Introvert Deer. She lives in a cabin in the forest of Muskoka, Canada, with her husband, daughter, and German Shepherd. Kyra, welcome to Beautiful Possibility. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy that you're here. Same, same. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll jump into the first question because it's, even though it's my official first question, it's also what I'm most curious about, which is (laughs) to tell me about your creative journey. Tell us how you got started. Tell us about the work that you're doing now and kind of how you came to it. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a musical family. I'm raised by hippie musicians. Um, My parents met because their bands were playing at the same folk festival. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But somewhere around when, you know, the kids were born, they decided to sort of like, quote unquote, get serious. And um, my dad took on the family optometry practice. My mom became a stay-at-home mom. And I sort of grew up with this thing that's like, you know, being creative is what you love, but it's not how you make money. Kind of like, we tried it, so you don't have to. So Uh there were a lot of limiting beliefs sort of there that I grew up with. Um, And it became very clear that it was like, your path will be that you will become a doctor. So I sort of tried to be a doctor and just wasn't ever a doctor. Evidently, I'm a writer. So just sort of fumbled my way through until eventually discovering copywriting. So writing for advertising and marketing, as I know you're you're well aware. Yeah, we have both been copywriters and also for tech organizations, which is so funny. It's like it's a creative job in a very uh, stable and I don't know, respectable uh, industry. Yes. Yeah. How funny how that like it's sort of a weird it's an odd duck like that. That doesn't really exist, you know, other than in advertising. So, yeah, I sort of found that and realized exactly, as you said, you this is a way that you can be a writer and make a steady income. Did that for 
a number of years, over 15 years, and really fell into a niche of finance and tech, as we mentioned, um, because I kind of have this big nerd brain. And it turned out that I was really good at taking really dry content and just making it engaging and, and appealing. And um, the only trouble with that was that despite the fact that it pays well, and it's stable, and I was really good at it, it was like, it's just soul sucking to me because <laughs> I just don't enjoy finance and tech as a topic, really. And the time came eventually to pivot. And so I gained uh, certification as a mindfulness instructor and just sort of step by step started ticking away at moving in that direction. And I started sharing my own writing primarily on Instagram, but on other you know platforms as well. And I self-published a book sort of as a symbolic gesture when I first started offloading my finance clients. Say more about the symbolic gesture. What do you mean? <laughs> this is like one of my biggest sort of creative tenets is that I think being a writer, you're naturally inclined to see symbolism in everything, perhaps aggravatingly so. <laughs> you know, I think then that what happens is that you have the opportunity in life to make certain decisions. And these decisions may not have any logical or rational, um, you know, reasoning for them. But when you look at the symbolism of the action, I really believe that that's where the power is. So I've often referred to it as like stirring up the energy of the universe, kind of. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Stephen Pressfield at all, who wrote yeah. Oh, The yeah. War of Art. Yeah, he's like yes. just one of my big heroes. He actually follows me on Instagram, which oh, like... Oh, no! Look at you! <laughs> I totally like peed my pants when I saw the... <laughs> follow. I was like, am I being punked? Because um, <laughs> who's, I... who's on the other side making that punk though, right? <laughs> it's like, it's like this is going to really get her. <laughs> it's me with my fake Stephen Pressfield yeah, yeah. account. <laughs> yeah, precisely. I don't know why my mind goes there. I'm like, it can't no, be mine real. would too. Mine would too. <laughs> like this is really heavily orchestrated. It has to be. Yeah. It's so much more obvious than the real solution. <laughs> That's right. Precisely. Yeah. Um, so Stephen Pressfield calls it putting your ass where your heart wants to be. Yes. Which he just has such a great way of putting things. So that's how I feel about symbolic action is like, if you want to be somewhere, sometimes you got to stir up the energy of the universe and and take an action that maybe doesn't make sense, but it's going to be stirring up the energy in the direction that you want to go. So when the time came for me to leave behind some of my uh, sort of aligned with uh, letting go of my last finance copywriting client, I self-published this book. It was symbolic because for me, part of what was taxing about so many years of copywriting was that as a copywriter, you're always speaking in someone else's voice. Yes. It's the nature of the job, right? You're always speaking on behalf of a brand. Um, I've done a lot of ghostwriting. So, you know, my work gets put out into the world and it says that it's by somebody else, but it's actually written by me. And that's the skill of doing that well is being able to be nimble and sort of like a shapeshifter into Absolutely. all these different voices and being very attuned to sort of the nuances of the different voices. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, personally, I'm I'm a recovering people pleaser. So that's been a skill that came really easily to me because I'm so used to being like, who do you need me to be? Let me be that. Um, so oh, ghostwriting so becomes really easy. But it was getting to the point where I felt stifled and suffocated by the fact that I was always writing in someone else's voice. And I knew that that wasn't the path for me. I knew that I wanted to share my own thoughts. Um, yeah. So I took that symbolic action of publishing the book last June. It's been really well received. It's called The Dictionary of Limiting Beliefs. So it's a reference manual that people can comb through to find their own limiting beliefs. And um, from there, you know, it's interesting. The universe just kind of takes over. So just following the signs and uh, teaching a couple of courses and through that, getting connected with some corporate clients, which is really where I want to live as a mindfulness instructor. Mm. And uh, yeah, everything's just really fallen into place from there. And, and here we are. I love that. I have so many, so many things I want to say. I'm trying to choose which one I want to say first. But I always think of Julia Cameron's quote of mm. you have to pray to catch the bus and then run like hell. It's like <laughs> yes. just the thought isn't quite enough. You have to, like you're saying, mm -hmm. get your ass in the seat. <laughs> That's exactly right. I love but that. I really resonate with what you're talking about because I feel like I'm in a very similar position as you had been when you were at that moment. And that's why I'm so curious about it. I'm at the end of writing my first book. And it's like, I'm so, I'm so compelled to put book in air quotes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's really like, hard for me to be author. like, yeah, yeah. I'm, it's right. It's not really a book. It's just many pages of my writing that will be, you know, put bundled together and distributed. I guess that's a, okay. It's a book. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe yeah, when I started this project and the Instagram and then the podcast, like this was an idea I've had, you know, this is the stuff I'm doing every day. Anyone who knows me in real life, this is, this is what I'm shilling out anytime, always already. And I was sort of just waiting for the opportunity. Do you know what I mean? To be mm -hmm. asked to produce all this stuff. Right. And that opportunity was never going to come. I had to sort of hire myself. I had to, you know, I was like, I should write a book, but I don't know what it's about. Oh, well, yes, you do know what it's about. It's about all the stuff that you always work on and talk about and that you've learned. You get to write the brief and make the request and package it up and <laughs> put it out there. Like, no one's asking for it, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't exist. Yeah, that's such a good point. And it, it is one of those things where there's never going to be a right time. You're never going to have enough time to do it. There, It's never a smart decision. Um, so at some point, you just have to be like, I've reached the critical mass of where I have been before. And it's time to just push through into this new paradigm. Um, and you're absolutely right about the it does then take a lot of uh hard work from there too right like i always as you're aware you're like writing a book it always kind of makes me giggle when people are like yeah i think i'll just write a book and I, you know i'm kind of like okay tell me when you're eight chapters in how it's going because <laughs> you're like, like lol see you on understand. the other end yeah <laughs> it's like no, a massive it's not just massive work i was talking to a friend yesterday and we ended up talking about how there's the starting a project like that. There's the middle of a project like that. And there's the finishing. And those are three 
totally different experiences with different skill sets and qualities and energy about them, right? Like some people are good at different parts. I'm really good at the starting. The middle was fine. You chug along. And then the end is like killing me. <laughs> that's my weak muscle, right? The end is my tricep. The, the middle is my <laughs> bicep. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but but they call forth different things from you as a creative person, you know, as a technician, as a worker. They're challenging to your dedication and your focus, I think, in really different ways. I'm curious if you've found something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the other the other part of it, too, is that then it's a whole other skill set to be promoting and selling the book. Oh, right. right? That one, too. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, because most creative people are not into the promotion and selling part. Like we don't get into the game because we're like, I really want to just talk about myself for hours on end and like tell, like it makes me, I'm the worst salesperson, like the worst. So right now I'm writing, so I self-published the first book and then again, more as a symbolic gesture, my goal has always been to secure a traditional publishing deal. Like Mm -hmm. from the time I was eight years old, and I read my first Babysitter's Club book, I was like, that, that is what I want to do. I want to hold a book in my hand and have it be from, you know, Scholastic, or it won't be from Scholastic, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, whoever that publisher is. So right now, um, I'm writing the proposal for my second book. And the proposal itself is a book. The proposal is like a 70-page document, you know? And then not only are you the funnest part, is the part where you plan out the book and you give the outline and, you know, you have a greater understanding of exactly how the book is going to go when you do write it. And then the slog is the like promotional aspect of it. How are we going to market this book? Who am I as a person? What's my platform? Do I have enough of an audience to sell this to? Then it's like querying agents and, you know, all of that stuff that goes along with it. Right. So yeah, they're all very separate skill sets. And then in addition to that, the other thing that I'll add is the publishing and sharing aspect. If you're somebody who's sharing on social media. So I feel like there's the planning, the creation, and then there's hitting publish and sharing your work. And I know that for some writers, um, they are very content to just write for themselves and that's their creative process. And for me, that's not my creative process. My creative process, I close the loop by hitting publish and sharing it with other people. And I struggled for a long time with that because the limiting belief was like, well, you just want attention or like, who are you to put your stuff out there? Yeah. And it wasn't until I had this like a really awesome human design uh, reading. I'm not sure if you're familiar with human design, but only only a little bit. I know I'm a manifesting generator, but I don't really know what that means. Neat. My husband's a manifesting generator. Um, Perfect. You guys are fun. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, And I'm a projector. And so any I'm speaking with this human design reader she was like no you're like in order for you to close the loop the sharing is important and mm. for me she just her name is Joya she's fantastic she said you know you have this deep well of knowledge and just like a well of water if you are only skimming off the top of it or you're leaving it there the water gets stale and stagnant and you're going to get sick like whether it's psychologically spiritually 
physically. You need to be digging down to the bottom of that well and bringing that water up to the surface and then sharing it. That's your creative process. Wow. I felt like really gave me permission to lean into what I already knew, which was that's what felt right to me. Yeah. I've been listening to Atomic Habits by James Clear. I don't know if you know that book. Mm -hmm. I read it years ago. It was great. And now I'm rereading it. Um, And there was one, you know, there's there'll be one sentence that pops out to you. And he was talking about his journey to become a writer and why, you know, his teachers never thought he had any potential. And he's he's a good writer now, but he's never going to be the best writer. And that's Mm -hmm. fine. He was sort of uh, metacognating about why he does it. And he was like, I wanted to fulfill my potential. Mm. And that phrase really stuck with me to like, as sort of an antithesis to a limiting belief that maybe I had where it's like, well, either you're going to do nothing or you're striving to be something, an incredible celebrity and the best, whatever, whatever. And it's like, no, like when I heard that phrase, I was like, that really resonates with me. I just don't want to leave anything on the table. Like I don't want to leave anything in the well. And however good I might be or not is not up to me, but I want to know that I, I extended myself. Yeah. Mic drop. I love that. (laughs) That's exactly, totally exactly how I feel too. Um, And I think the lesson being like, you know, people will say, this is very much the topic of my second book is, is I like to say it's a book about shedding everything you've been told you should be in order to finally discover who you actually are. Many of us feel like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know the answers. I don't even know who I am, really, right? And that's not our fault. That's because we've been fed so many messages from the culture about who we should be, right? But the truth is that we know deep down inside who we are. And we limit ourselves all the time. You know, if you are like, I think I'm a writer, you know, but I don't really know. You're probably a writer. Like if writing is something that you can't escape, that's that's how it was for me. Like I write to figure out the universe. Like my life doesn't make sense if I'm not writing about it. And I'm a grumpy, miserable person on the days (laughs) when I don't write. (laughs) So it's that's, you know, what's that? If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. <laughs> Absolutely. My my books on, on a is a similar topic. Our books probably overlap a little. Yeah. My, the one I'm working on is about finding your purpose and sort of your the topic that you want to explore in your life's work through mm. the process of writing or creating. Like mm. basically how to start when you don't know what you're starting. I love that. Knowing that you'll find it by the end. So it's sort of a manual for going through that and like a spiritual guidebook. I love that because as you, I really believe that so many answers come through action. Mm -hmm. And because creativity is not something that has been prioritized in our culture, unfortunately, for the last, you know, however long, um, we tend not to take action in that direction if we can't see an instant financial payoff. But so many answers come from just taking the steps, just walking it through, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that there's a very sort of mass, when I say masculine, I mean like energetically masculine approach to doing any sort of project or undertaking, which is like, Mm -hmm. you need to have the plan. You have to know where you're going. Step one, two, three, here's the whole scope of the project before I take the first step. And I find that creativity and a lot of this more spiritual work 
is a, you have to have faith. You have to take the first step, even if you don't know where you're stepping. And for someone like me, who's a triple Virgo, (laughs) very (laughs) over analytical and needs to know before I do anything. That was like such a catch 22 for me Mm because I'm like, oh, it's not that I don't have faith. I just need the blueprint. Like, Help help me understand exactly what I'm doing. It's hard to just be like, dance and just vibe the music. You know, yeah. like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was sort of the manual that I had to create in my mind to get. Mm-hmm. I knew that getting moving was the only thing that would work, but I didn't know how. So I had to create a bunch of frameworks and constructs that could trick me into doing it <laughs> in a way. Mm-hmm. And so this is the culmination of that process and those things that I invented and learned along the way. Well, that's perfect because that means that you're exactly the right person to be writing that book, right? Because you're just sharing exactly the process that you, the road that you walked, right? If you weren't a triple Virgo and you were somebody who's like, just roll with the universe, as you said, it would be a terrible book and it wouldn't reach the people that it needs to reach. And I do find that that's a lot of self-help, honestly. Mm-hmm. People who are like, just, you know, do the thing. And you're like, okay, but like, how do I do the thing? Like, I'm super, I'm super jacked up after reading. I'm super inspired. (laughs) Now I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) Yes, literally, literally. This this is the book I wish that I had had. It would have saved me so many years of just farting around and feeling screwed up and feeling, you know, angry and ashamed and depressed and you know, that, that fruit salad of wonderful emotions. <laughs> well, and that's also just part of being a creative personality too, I think, right? Like that's, that's where we create from is that, that fruit salad, as you say, the soup, you know? Totally. Now I've gone through the low points often enough that whenever it happens, I'm like, okay, this is just going to be material. You know, you can you can witness it from the outside in a way that experience lets you when the first time you're going through any of those feelings of uh, doubt or shame or limiting beliefs, like you almost don't notice that that's what's happening. You can't name it. You're just like, this is the entire universe. I am crap or whatever the (laughs) the thought is instead of you're like, oh, I'm having the thought that I'm crap. Right. I know what this is. I know what to do about it. Here's my three things that I, you know, I call mm-hmm. a friend. I take a while. I close the book for today, whatever the things mm-hmm. are. And I think that so much of I did a podcast episode about the idea of mastery. And my personal theory around this is like mastery is not getting to the point where you're so good at something you never mess up or make a mistake. It's just being aware of where your blind spots are, your Achilles heels, like where you bump into the wall every time and being like, cool, I'm at the spot now. Here's what I'm going to do about it. And like mm-hmm. knowing how to go back into your own work in that way is to me like that next level of skill. Yeah, you're so right. And again, that's those are the lessons that you can only learn through action. Totally. I think a lot of people with creativity stall out and they're like, you know, I need to have ABC before I get started. I need to have a bigger plan. I need to figure out how I can monetize this. I need to. And it's like, I mean, I really, you know, different strokes for different folks, but I really am inclined toward just taking action and figuring it out on the way. Because if you are able to read your own patterns, as you're saying, then that's like 
piles of data that you have moving forward to help yourself get out of sticky situations. A hundred percent. And I think that the tricky part is like knowing, (laughs) knowing how to get started when you, you know that you have to get started, but how to get started when you don't know how to start. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I, the, one of the comforting thoughts that I had that got me started, particularly, as I mentioned, because I share a lot of stuff on Instagram, and that has been in terms of learning how to share my writing with the world, learning how to use my voice when I'm so accustomed to hiding behind a brand or whoever I'm ghostwriting for. The comforting thought that I had was, I'm going to start this Instagram account. It's going to be crickets for, I mean, for me, it was like, essentially an eternity, it was crickets. There was nobody paying attention forever. Um, And not that I have like a huge following now or anything. I'm nowhere near where I would like to be. But um, my thought was this, no, while no one is paying attention, I will make all of the mistakes. And then by the time somebody is watching, I'll actually know what I'm doing. Hell yeah. It's (laughs) true. No, it's true. But But you've got a groove. And I think that from a place of catching a groove, you can catch the next groove a little bit more easily. The first one is always absolutely the hardest. And I felt the same way when I started my Instagram. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. All of this feels bad. I'm just talking to the camera, answering a question literally nobody asked me. (laughs) And I'll put captions on it. Are we, did we do it? Did we do the thing? (laughs) And that's a whole other topic is like the reels aspect. Like, you know, (laughs) I just really am not a fan of reels generally. Um, I loved your last reel. It really, (laughs) it it inspired the the most recent one that I did. I was like, so know that it did its job, whatever its job was, it's checked off. Um, Thank you. I did like (laughs) that one, actually, That, that one I had fun with. It was for anyone who's listening, it was a conversation between my highest self and my nervous system, my nervous system, who often tries to help, but ends up derailing me because I'm a highly sensitive person. And so and an overthinker, um, same as you. So I (laughs) really send myself into a panic over just about anything. (laughs) It was so funny. Yeah. Well, and as I mentioned to you, when we were sending messages back and forth, I I made that literally while I was stewing in my own juices over a meeting, a super important meeting that day. Um, and I had the idea and I was like, I'm such a school nerd that I'm like, I should just strap myself down to my desk and prepare, you know, for the next three hours. And I was like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to make something fun instead. Um, and see how it goes. And it it made the mood so much lighter going into oh, my yeah. meeting, actually. And there's so much to be said for I'm a real creature of habit. So once I get into a groove on something, I just like stay there forever, just like strangle it to death. But there's a lot <laughs> to be said for just being like, well, why don't I just try like a little bit, something a little bit different here and see how that goes. And if it doesn't work, I don't have to do it again. Yeah, Totally. That's one of my favorite sort of decision making uh, modalities I've developed more recently, which is like, what's the like smallest amount that you can try that'll get you out of your chair and stop thinking about whether it's going to be a good choice or a bad choice? Like, how can you swap that analysis for any amount of experience, even if you're going to reverse it later or whatever, buy the thing and return it, like whatever the type of thing you're debating over. But what's 
what's the opportunity for you to like get some face-to-face contact with it? Then you know if it worked or not. Yep, exactly. I love that. And I think it's hard for those of us who, as you said, you're a triple Virgo, so I can, and you're a copywriter. So I'm sort of imagining that you're probably a bit of a school nerd too. You probably did well in school and. Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I collect my new pencils every September and organize them by, you know, color, depth, and alphabetically as well. (laughs) Right. Okay. So same (laughs) Z's. So I think that what. On the one hand, it's like a real blessing when you're a kid and you naturally are good at school. And it's also a curse, though, because you sort of learn to like, I'm really good in this lane. I'm really good at taking in instructions and carrying out the assignment. And sometimes it can be difficult to give yourself permission then to lean into what you think is right and to experiment with things that you don't know if you're going to be able to hit it out of the park. Totally. Whereas with school, you have this very established framework and you know that you can excel at it. It's almost like you hear these stories of people who are like, well, I had nothing left to lose. So I took this risk. It's the reverse of that where you're like, well, I have everything to lose because I know I'm good at this. And this is a total unknown where I might be good or I might only be okay. And it's not a guarantee that I'm going to get the accolades that I'm used to for walking this path. So as you're saying, like, you get really good at continuing to accommodate and conform to the expectations because you know that you have skill there. And it's a reinforcing cycle where you get better and better. You know, that copywriter shape shifter, like muscle gets really strong. And it almost preclude not totally precludes, but it become it stacks the odds against breaking out and doing something totally brand new an unpaved path. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, right? But mm-hmm. if we can sort of gently nudge ourselves towards taking small actions, as you mentioned, and having that be the first thing that we try and experiment here and there with a little bit of, you know, maybe trying to be a little bit more playful and a little less serious, which is that's the journey that I am on. And I'm like pushing myself into playfulness but like dragging my fingernails. Like sounds really playful. <laughs> it's really, it's so I'm so playful. <laughs> I have zero play. I was like a serious child. Like I remember being four years old and looking at the other children and being like, why are you not all as worried and anxious as I am? Like I've just always, I've just always had this personality. So um, but I recognize that my creativity really improves, not surprisingly. Uh, when I throw in a little bit of of playfulness here and there. So we can try to nudge ourselves in that direction. And then the other thing too is like, there are also a number of benefits to having um, so much experience with copywriting. And when the time came for me to transition into not only writing my own things, but providing, you know, mindfulness services to corporations, and I had to write my first proposal you know, and they want to know about why you're equipped in what you're doing and what else you've done. And I'm like, I haven't done any of this yet. I just, you know, I'm not. (laughs) Don't worry about it. (laughs) I know I can do it. But and I was like, all I can do is just share my own personal story. Like as a writer, you're a storyteller. And so what I've really leaned into is the idea that 
you know, there are many mindfulness instructors who come from sort of a yoga spirituality background, and there's benefit to that. I am not that though. Um, I came to mindfulness kicking and screaming. I came to it because I had to learn this skill set because I was so fucking anxious. And I have an understanding of what the challenges are in the corporate world and for my corporate clients because I've personally been there. So sometimes the things that you think put you at a disadvantage, you know, you can spin them in another direction and be like, you know what, that's actually what makes me unique. And that's a strength of mine. 100%. I'm like fist bumping over here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's, that's really key. That's something that I like to talk about a lot and that I touch on in my book. Even though it sometimes feels like, and I certainly felt like this in the beginning of my journey, like every topic's been covered. There's an expert there already. There's no ground that's been unexplored. But as you're saying, like your context that you bring to that topic or undertaking is so unique and there's such a need for it in the world that there's a whole universe of students, you know, and appreciators of the work that you're bringing for whom you are the perfect teacher. Like I often think something similarly about the work that I'm doing, which is like, I also, you know, come from a corporate background. My clients that I've worked with in coaching tend to be sort of type A, very um, achievement oriented, really good at getting good results and methodical in that way. Mm -hmm. And so being able to bridge that gap between the more creative feeling feminine side and those constructs that I understand really well of like OKRs and all this stuff, you know, like, There's something there that if you can speak to that person, you know, we can walk on that path together. And I'm I think that that's a lot of the same work that you're doing. You have to be able to speak to people in their sort of native language in a way Mm -hmm. like and that's a that's a shared language between practitioners. It's not there's no there's no hierarchy there between like student and teacher. It's just like, can we meet on the level that we're already existing on. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah. No, totally. It does. And I also think as well that we're like, we're transitioning out of a time where knowledge was held by few and where authority was given to a few. And it was primarily based on, you know, education, which has just like, you know, piles of privilege associated to that. And that's very nuanced. We're moving away from that and into a time where experience-based knowledge is really key. Things like flexibility, uh, resilience, you know, qualities that you can't necessarily get from a formal education or from the letters behind your name. We're moving into a time where exactly as you're saying, your unique experience as a human being is what's going to be most valuable in terms of the wisdom that you're imparting. But I think for a lot of us who are still, you know, naturally accustomed to what we the ideology that we grew up with, we struggle sometimes to give ourselves permission to share our wisdom because we think, well, I don't have a PhD or I don't, whatever that thing might be, right? Totally. But you are the only person sitting at the Venn diagram center of the various circles you've been a part of in your life, in your upbringing, with your family, your cultural context, the places you've lived, what you're naturally interested in, your values, like all those layer on and give context to the subject matter that you're talking about. And therefore, like you are uniquely equipped to talk about sort of that intersection is like where I think about it. And like, you could call it a niche, you could call it anything. But I I love the way that you put that as we're living in a time of experience 
teaching from experience over authority. That's so beautiful to me. It really resonates. And I'd never, I've never heard it put quite that way, but you see that all around. Like you see that in Instagram, you see that in so many people mobilizing to create courses and educational material that is so much more resonant than when everyone was consuming from the same mainstream source. Because you can find the teacher that's like totally attuned to the way that you want to learn or comes from the same background as you or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I love the thing that you said about the Venn diagram too, because I just, I love a visual, I love a solid visual reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, one of the things that I also did, again, just like fo- a big part of my creative process is just following like, you know, pings, so to speak, from the universe ideas that come through. And I had this idea last summer to start teaching a women's public speaking intensive. Ooh. Yeah, it was awesome. And the sort of through just four sessions, we go from understanding, you know, public speaking to crafting your speech, workshopping your speech, and then delivering it in a TED Talk style event. And one of the main things that I was talking to the students about was the idea of like, you got to lean into your weird if you think that you're going to get up on stage and deliver a talk that's like, this is what, you know, such and such study from 1984, like everybody is going to be like snooze. But if you get up there and like, I started my speech by talking about a time that a spider fell on my head and I spilled a glass of water on myself and like just generally being awkward AF, which is just my life story. Um, that's what people are. That's what people want to hear, right? That's what endears you to people. Like the weirder totally. you can be, like whatever your thing is, like we got to just let that share that with the world. That's the gift. I think that's what makes Instagram so awkward is like you're trying to bring that weird, but you're by yourself in a room somewhere. So you're like, okay, how do I how do I construct an environment that like it naturally entices this weird when it's like literally I made I made this video this week. where I'm like, like crouching on top of a coffee, like a conference room table by myself, hoping nobody's going to come in and see me. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is either the 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 lowest moment of my life or it's absolute peak and I don't know which one. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah, the discomfort of the sitting in in the room by yourself and being like, is that you just never know how anything's going to resonate with anyone and that alone is a good, you know, life lesson in itself because you might as well just do what is sparking your own interest cuz you oh, can like yeah. I will write a post that I'm like, this is honestly the best fucking thing that I've ever written in my entire life. And I'll hit post and like, it will be crickets. And then I'll write, I'll post something that I'm like, wow, I don't even know if this is good enough to be sharing, but okay. And it'll get piles of likes. Like there's just no rhyme or reason to what's going to resonate. No, absolutely not. I've started creating at least the when I started doing like the video editing for making reels, I was like, I'm having the most fun. This is the most fun I've like creative fun I've had in a long time. And I don't know if they're funny to anyone else, but I have a ball. (laughs) I'm editing. My husband will see me and I'm just like, like snickering with my headphones on. He's like, oh, she's she's video editing again. And I'm like, I don't care if anyone likes this. I had so much fun making it. It's so silly and playful that like it taps me into something that like is really hard to access. I think when you're by yourself on the internet. So I'm... (laughs) I'm thankful for that. 
<laughs> that's, that's an awesome thing. And I think there's a term that I don't think that she invented it, but that Martha Beck, who is like as close as it's going to get to being my guru, I just like worship her. Mm. She talks about the rage to master and sort of following this impulse that you have exactly like you're talking about like if if your thing is reels and you're finding like oh i just i love diving in here i love playing with the software i love figuring out editing techniques um i love creating the you know script or the storyboard for the and you just you can't hold back from the momentum because you're just so excited about the thing she calls that the rage to master and says that that's something that we should be following, you know, on the contrary, most of us will feel that way. And if we can't run it through the lens of logic or, you know, financial output, then we just don't do it. Right. And I think that's how we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. Oh, totally, totally. Like I was terrified, terrified to film myself and make anything because I was like, I don't know what to do. No one has given me this like a script or like a no one needs this for anything. I'm just creating it out of thin air. And I'm so like there was something inside me that was like I could see that on the other end of like the awkward hump you have to go over I was like I think you will enjoy this I see you on the other side having fun being immersed in this creation world and feeling adept at it so you need to get yourself from where you are now which is just like hot tears of awkwardness <laughs> over the hump to the land where you're like oh I know how to use these tools I feel comfortable on camera I'm not there yet but like I see the promised land on the other side and I know that it will be really fun so I'm like okay you got to get through it because the only way to get there is like directly through the mountain yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, you're so right and I think that having that end goal in mind is so helpful creatively whether you're dealing with a creative block or you're someone who procrastinates or you're somebody who's learning a new skill that makes you feel awkward Mm-hmm. Like when I was copywriting, I'm not somebody who struggles with procrastination typically just because I am such a school nerd and I have like just an appalling amount of willpower, which <laughs> truly gets me into more trouble than it does any good. Um, but I would sometimes get to a point where I'd just be like, I if I swear, if I have to write about tax strategy one more time, I'm going to poke my eyes out with a fork. And so <laughs> I would have to take a step back and be like, I'm going to write my invoice in advance of this project so that I am typing the dollar amount into this document and reminding myself, oh, that's why I'm doing this right now. And I can sort of get into the mindset of, okay, well, I'm actually a working writer, which is fantastic. So then I can return to the project and be like, that's the why. And now I can write about tax strategy again without poking my eyes out. I love that. Is there anything that you're struggling with right now? in your creative process. You seem to me like you've got it all together, but I am curious if there's anything behind that where you're like, oh, this is really getting me. Boy, do I have you fooled. (laughs) I do not have it together. (laughs) Um, I think, you know what they say, like another level, another devil, like there's always a struggle no matter where you're at. Um, as I mentioned right now, I'm writing my book proposal and this is like the big mountain that I'm climbing right now. So I took the month of February. I got, you know, most of it done. Now I'm really knuckling down to put the finishing touches on it. And I continue, I'm someone who just is so hard on myself and so self-critical and I've really healed 
that a lot to the extent that I now have tools that I can use to help myself out of those places. Ooh, tell us the tools. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that I like to call it a process of self-empathy, wherein, you know, we talk about self-compassion. Empathy implies like a third person, right? And I think that the trouble with self-criticism is that we're so like we are ourselves, we're so close to ourselves, it's we cannot lend ourselves the compassion that we lend to somebody else. And so it helps to, there's even data on this, that like, if your self talk is in the third person versus the first person, it's actually like a way healthier way to approach yourself. So I think learning how to see yourself from a third person perspective is really important in that process. That's number one. Number two thing that I do as well is like try to take the emotional charge out of things by just taking it down to bare basic details. So like when I'm really freaking out with my proposal and I'm like, this is a piece of shit, (laughs) then I'll just be like, woman types words. You know, I'm like... (laughs) You don't need to be like, this is my life stream since I was eight years old. And I just like really tend to complicate things and make everything seem really serious and important. And I just have you're the only person that does that. It's no, of course. That's right. I'm totally (laughs) alone in it. And (laughs) so I just have to like pull it back and be like, this is not my life stream in a 70 page document. This is woman types words. I love that. I want a t-shirt or something. <laughs> Woman types words. Yeah. I'm ready for the Kyra merch. Just let me know when the, when the drop is happening. Yeah. I'm here. I also, when I was teaching the public speaking course, same thing. I was like, literally, the ideal situation is that this is the worst speech that you will ever give because you're only going to get better. Totally. The only goal here is woman says words on stage. If you go up there and you just croak out a word and then leave again, you will have accomplished your mission. Yes. I love that so much. I have a similar like mental construct, which is that you you have to throw out the first waffle. Like when you're making waffles, like, you know, the first one's burnt, but also raw in the middle. It's like, you know, it'll happen. It gets better after. And I I used to be a hairstylist. And so when I was an apprentice and we had to get all our own models for our learning, our class days, you have to go model hunting. So you're like out at the mall just being like, oh, I have to talk to strangers and ask them to come do this. And so I'm, I created this game where I was like, okay, throw out the first waffle. So like I'd pick someone right. as a target that I didn't even really, they weren't my ideal person. They were just a person. I was like, just go talk to them. And like, if it sucks, it's set. Like, I don't even want them, but I'd croak right. out my little, you know, speech and yes. it didn't matter if they accepted or rejected it. Then I'd get my groove and get better. But like, I've taken that. And like, I think about that with my book that I'm writing now. I'm like, Jillian. This is the worst book you will ever write. And that is a great liberating gift. It's the first one. It has to be the worst. They'll get better. But you can't write a better book until you finish this one. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. And I think anything that we can do to... I am fully in favor of those little hacks that can trick ourselves into just like taking the action and going easy on ourselves in the process. You know, that's primarily my struggle is just generally being, you know, too hard on myself and having to just keep going anyway. And I think to that extent, too, it's helpful to like, as we've been talking about all along, just to like chunk your tasks, you know, Uh, like today I will write a 
a shitty first draft is that I think that's Anne Lamott, right? From Bird oh, by Bird, yes. shitty first draft. And yes. you just like, it's the worst. And that's okay. Because, you know, my dad always used to say, writing is editing. Yep. Just get it on the page. And then you're going to come back to it 12 times and keep skimming away until it's better again. So that's, that's where I'm at right now with that. Beautiful. All right. This has been amazing. I want to talk to you forever. But I, I want to come just... back 12 times. Good. Great. I love it. Let's do it. So just to wrap up today's beautiful conversation, if you could give a piece of advice to your younger self at any point in your journey from where you are now, what would it be? I love this question. I think that I would say the part of you that feels like you know who you are and what you're meant to do is right. And Every part of you that swoops in after that sentiment and says, no, you're not, you suck, nobody likes you, is lying. And so if you can just keep your eye on that North Star and keep moving in that direction, even when you feel silly and awkward, you will be just fine. I love that so much. Uh, Kyra, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This I like the second that we started talking about this, I was like, this is first of all going to be a really long conversation because I'm going to talk <laughs> your ear off for four hours. <laughs> it's welcome. It's welcome. <laughs> Where can people find you in your work? So I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Kyra underscore Evans underscore writer. And you can also visit KyraEvans.com to find out more about my services offering um, and that kind of thing as well. Beautiful. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you next time. Thank you for walking this creative path with me. I'm so grateful to be learning with you. If you like the show, I'd love for you to share it with a fellow creative. And please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. For more day-to-day -day support and inspiration, join our creative community on Instagram at beautiful underscore possibility. The show is hosted by me, Jillian Jacob Kieser, and edited by Abby Circatella. The theme music is from Candelion. Until next time, just keep going.